Isn't it a lot of fun being a patriotic American? I heard about a man looking out the front window of his house one Saturday morning and he could see several homes on the street in his neighborhood and he noticed a woman going door to door and that didn't surprise him much because he'd seen Jehovah's Witnesses doing that before and knew what they were about and he also knew that they didn't recite the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. So he decided he was going to have some fun. Before she got to his house... He got a big American flag and hung it on the the living room wall. And right as she was uh, coming up the steps, he called for his wife to join him in the living room. She rang the doorbell, and he opened the door. And before she could finish introducing herself, he said, Oh, I know who you are. Come on in. And uh, she stepped across the, the, the threshold. And he said, Before you say anything else, we're going to stand at attention and say the Pledge of Allegiance. And he pointed to the flag on the wall and he started. And when he finished, with a note of confidence and pride in his voice, he he looked at her and he said, well, what do you think about that? And she hesitated. And then she said, well, you know, I've been selling Mary Kay cosmetics for 25 years. I've always enjoyed wearing patriotic T-shirts, and every year I, I buy some. And um, we used to have a goodies in Rock Hill, and they always carried a lot. So we were up in Tennessee this week, and I was able to get some because there's a lot of goodies stores up there. But I bought several patriotic T-shirts. This one actually comes from Walmart. I want to show it to you. This is my new patriotic T-shirt from Walmart. Can you see that? Home of the free... Because of the brave. Now think about that a minute. Home of the free because of the brave. This celebration of freedom, one of the things we've always done since we started this 25 years ago is recognize the men and women in our military because the truth is throughout the history of our great country, it's been people who were willing to serve and some at great sacrifice that made it possible for you to get up whatever time you got up this morning. Either fix breakfast at your house or go to Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's or wherever you went for coffee and something. You chose. You got here. You're going to enjoy this service. And when we're done, you're going to go wherever you're going to go. And you don't have to answer to anybody except unless you're a kid, mama and dad. Okay? We celebrate that. It's a, it's a great gift that not everybody on this planet enjoys. And if you've never traveled outside the country, sometimes it's hard to grasp just how blessed we really are. But it's those who've been willing to give and to serve that have protected the freedoms that we enjoy. And the truth is, freedom has never been free. It's never been cheap. It's always been paid for. And sometimes with life and death. I want you to think for a moment about the men who signed the Declaration of Independence. Because we think about that and it's, you know, it's, it's a moment in our history. We, we hear about it. But put yourself in their place, in their shoes. Because when they affixed their names to that document, they became traitors. 
They were British. They were British citizens. They were part of the British Empire. They were rebelling. They were becoming traitors to their homeland, so to speak. In fact, King George branded everyone in the Continental Army as traitors. There were four men from South Carolina who signed that document. Three of them, Thomas Hayward, Arthur Middleton, and Edward Rutledge, were captured and taken prisoner by the British during the siege of Charleston in 1780. A lot of American soldiers from the Continental Army were captured by the British and because the king had declared them traitors, they were treated more harshly than, than, than prisoners were, POWs were normally treated. Many of them were kept on old, worn-out ships or other ships that uh, the British had captured and quarters were cramped and it was dirty and it was dark and... There wasn't much food, and there was a lot of sickness, a lot of illness. We actually had more soldiers during the Revolution die as POWs than died of casualties suffered in actual combat. It's estimated by historians that somewhere between 50 and 60% of American POWs during the Revolutionary War actually died while in captivity. Bodies were often just thrown overboard into the water. And so it was a tough time. When I was a little boy, my dad loved war pictures and cowboy movies, and his favorite actor was Audie Murphy. How many of you in this service remember who Audie Murphy was? Raise your hand. Remember Audie Murphy? All of you younger ones, you need to go and study the story of Audie Murphy. Most people know him as an actor, but Audie Murphy was actually the most decorated soldier in World War II. His dad abandoned the family when he was a kid. His mom died when he was a teenager, and he tried to enlist in the military, and I think it was the Marines and maybe the Navy rejected him because he was too small, too short, too skinny, too everything. He got his sister to forge a piece of paper that falsified his birthday and made him older than he really was, and he was finally, finally accepted by the Army. He served in North Africa and the Mediterranean and Europe during the war, and one day in France, his best friend was killed by a German soldier pretending to surrender. And that so infuriated Audie Murphy that without thinking, it seems, he, he charged and in the process killed all the Germans who had just killed his friend. He seized their machine gun and grenades and he attacked several nearby positions, killing all the Germans in those positions. He received 33 U.S. military medals, including three Purple Hearts, and the Congressional Medal of Honor. This is the citation that accompanied his being awarded the Medal of Honor. Let me read it to you because it describes what he did to earn it. Second Lieutenant Murphy commanded Company B, which was attacked by six tanks and waves of infantry. Second Lieutenant Murphy ordered his men to withdraw to a prepared position in the woods while he remained forward at his command post. 
and continued to give fire directions to the artillery by telephone. Behind him, to his right, one of our tank destroyers received a direct hit and began to burn. His crew withdrew to the woods. Second Lieutenant Murphy continued to direct artillery fire, which killed large numbers of the advancing enemy infantry. With the enemy tanks abreast of his position, Second Lieutenant Murphy climbed on the burning tank destroyer, which was in danger of blowing up at any moment, and employed its 50 caliber machine gun against the enemy. He was alone and exposed to German fire from three sides, but his deadly fire killed dozens of Germans and caused their infantry attack to waver. The enemy tanks, losing infantry support, began to fall back. For an hour, the Germans tried every available weapon to eliminate 2nd Lieutenant Murphy, but he continued to hold his position and wiped out a squad that was trying to creep up unnoticed on his right flank. Germans reached as close as 10 yards, only to be mowed down by his fire. He received a leg wound, but ignored it and continued his single-handed fight until his ammunition was exhausted. He then made his way back to his company, refused medical attention, and organized the company in a counterattack, which forced the Germans to withdraw. His directing of military artillery fire wiped out many of the enemy. He killed or wounded about 50. Second, Lieutenant Murphy's indomitable courage and his refusal to give an inch of ground saved his company from possible encirclement and destruction and enabled it to hold the woods, which had been the enemy's objective. Now, the reality is, throughout the life of our young country, there have been men and women who have risked everything for their buddies, for their families, and for this country, for the freedom that you and I enjoy today. Men like the one in this unit, David Franks from Lancaster, who exposed his own life, put himself at risk to rescue a fallen comrade. And part of what I'm saying today is that you and I need to hear these stories. We need to know the story of the journey that got us to this point in time because it wasn't just a free ride. It wasn't always an easy journey. There were significant sacrifices made so that you could be who you are. You could enjoy the freedom you enjoy because, as I said a moment ago, this is a privilege that many places on this planet have never experienced. There are people who got out of bed this morning that do not know what it feels like to be free the way you and I feel. We need to hear these stories so that we can continue to be grateful and appreciative and not take for granted the gift of God that we enjoy. Hear these stories so we can say thank you. Hear these stories so we will be determined to be better citizens and make this country a better place. Hear these stories so we will be inspired and encouraged. We need to hear these kind of stories. But you and I are not just Americans. We're also Christians. We're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and, and there are stories of people who have loved Him and lived for Him and served Him that can equally inspire us and encourage us. And, and we need to know those stories. 
Because just as we take the freedom that we have as Americans for granted, we take the privilege that is ours as followers of Jesus for granted. We take the opportunity to give our lives to Jesus and be saved for granted. The opportunity to serve Him and to make a positive difference. We take that for granted. And we need to hear the stories of sacrifice that got us to where we are so we can be motivated and we can be inspired and we can be encouraged to be better followers, more faithful followers of Jesus Christ. The 11th chapter of Hebrews is sometimes referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame because it mentions the names of men and women throughout the centuries who loved God, exercised great faith, often at tremendous sacrifice. And their story has made a difference even for us today. Some of them are not even listed by name because only God knows their names. And then after listing those and telling those stories and, and, and saying, here's the, here's the men and women who, who were faithful, who were faithful, who were faithful, he says in the opening verse of chapter 12 this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, since we have the examples, the stories of all these men and women who came before us in their faithful journey with Christ, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That great cloud of witnesses, those, those Hall of Fame people, those, those great men and women of faith in chapter 11, he, he talks about men like Abraham the father of the Jewish people who heard the call of God in his heart and left his homeland, left most of his relatives to go to a new place, a place he had never seen. In fact, when God said, start your journey, God did not tell him where he was going except it would be someplace new. He didn't know where he was going to end up, but he had enough trust that God always asked us to do what is best, that he took the step of faith and he left home and he went to a new place. And he didn't know how it was all going to turn out. When Abraham died, his descendants had not yet become a great nation. When Abraham died, his descendants were not yet the owners of the promised land. But because he heard the voice of God and said, I will run the race faithfully, even if I don't know how it's all going to turn out, he laid the groundwork, what became the people of God, what became the Jewish people, what became the nation of Israel, what became the ones through whom our Messiah came. In chapter 11, this great cloud of witnesses, he talks about Joseph who was sold into slavery and spent many years of his adult life in an Egyptian prison, seemingly forgotten by everyone but God. And through all those dark days, all of those hardships, all of that discouragement, all of the ridicule, Joseph ran his race. He remained faithful. And he's an example to us that even when times are hard and, and things are not going our way, hang on because God has a plan. And because Joseph ran his race and was faithful in those hard days, he rose to become a leader in the country of Egypt and ultimately saved his own people from starvation. In chapter 11, he talks about Moses, who was raised as the grandson of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, 
even though he was actually a Jew by blood. And as a young man, knowing who he really belonged to, Moses, he says, made the conscious decision to identify with his own people. And he gave up in the process the luxuries of royalty and all the benefits of being the grandson of the Pharaoh to identify with a group of people who were slaves. And he would spend the next decades of his life living in the wilderness as a shepherd as God prepared him And Moses not knowing it the whole time, God preparing him for the greatest adventure of his existence because after all of that, Moses was the one that God reached down from heaven, tapped on the shoulder and sent back to Egypt who led the children of Israel to freedom and to the promised land through the Exodus. But when Moses said, I will follow God and identify with my people, he didn't know that he would be that rescuer. But he took the step of faith because he heard the call of God. He didn't wait to see how it was all going to turn out before he would do what God was calling him to do. God spoke and that was enough. God was directing this step and that was enough. And too many times we want God to tell us the whole story before we do anything. God, show me how it's all going to work out and then maybe I'll decide to obey you. But that's not how faith works and that's not how faithfulness happens others are mentioned not by name simply by that word others because God is the only one who knows their name they're described as having been tortured experienced mockings and scourgings chains and imprisonment they were stoned they were sewn in two they were tempted they were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom this world was not worthy. And yet they ran their race. They were faithful through all of it. And he says, because you and I are surrounded by this great cloud of witness, these, these examples, these inspiring stories, run your race. Run your race. Men and women of the New Testament, I think of, Peter, the disciple, early in the church's life in the city of Jerusalem when they were just a minority sect, he and John were arrested, put in jail, threatened by the courts, and told not to speak any longer in the name of Jesus. And his famous response in the book of Acts chapter 4, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And later he would pray, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Imagine that. Here he is, part of a minority sect in a hostile place, being threatened by the government and told to not speak the name of Jesus anymore. And he says, I can't help but speak his name. And then he prayed, God, make me more confident, make me more bold than I've ever been to speak the name of Christ. And the Apostle Paul, that great missionary, an author of the New Testament, in a moment of autobiography in the book of 2 Corinthians, described in summary fashion his experiences as a follower of Christ, his sufferings. He talked about all the imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, 
Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, beatings with a whip. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep, in the sea. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers from the, in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. For you and me, he's part of that great cloud of witnesses. And they're cheering us. They're cheering us on. They're, they're inspiring us. They're, they're, they're motivating us. How many of you have ever gone to one of your children or grandchildren's baseball games or basketball games or t-ball games and, and, and you cheered and that little one got a hit and, 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 and man, you stood up and you clapped and you yelled for that child. You cheered on that, that grandson. How many of you have ever gone to a football game or a basketball game at the college or the, or the high school or up here in Charlotte at the, at the stadium and, and you cheer when a, when a first down happens? You cheer when they score a touchdown. You cheer when they hit a three-point basket. And here's all these men and women of faith. This great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, inspiring us with their life story, inspiring us with their example, cheering us on, saying, run the race. Run the race. Run the race. Run the race. Don't stop. Don't ever give up. Run the race. There's a a pastor this morning in Iran. He's in that infamous prison in Tehran where any enemy of the state is jailed and persecuted and sometimes executed. He's been there two years. His sentence says he'll be there another four for preaching Jesus in Iran. A sentence means nothing. They'll do whatever they want to do. Because it's not the rule of the law. It's more the rule of thugs than anything. He recently wrote a letter to his family. Listen to what he said. Now, he's married and has two kids, and this is what he said. He said, the narrow way, and remember Jesus said, narrow is the way. He said, the the narrow way that I am passing through, I see as a cup that my beloved, that Jesus, has given me, and I will drink it to the end, whatever that end might be. What really matters is that I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He's part of that cloud of witnesses that is to inspire us. And so he says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, run the race, and as you run it, do this. Lay aside all that heavy weight. Lay aside all those things that are slowing you down. And get rid of all those things that are tangling you up and, 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 and making you trip and fall. And, and I would ask you this morning, what is it that's holding you back? As you live your life on this planet for Jesus Christ, what is it that's holding you back? What is it that causes you to keep stumbling, to keep falling, to keep tripping? 
What is it that keeps knocking you down? What is it that keeps you on the ground? What is that sin in your life? What is that attitude in your life? What is that love in your life? What is that whatever in your life that is such a weight that it makes you run very slow? What is it that keeps entangling your feet and causes you to fall flat on your face? He said, as you think about these men and women of old who have loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength, and body, and as you think of these today who are doing that, get rid of all that stuff and run your race. Run like you want to win. Stop settling for mediocrity. Stop settling for less than God has for you in life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would have happened if over the years our soldiers had lost their bravery and instead been cowards and stopped fighting? What if Noah, who's also mentioned in Hebrews 11, Spent all those years building the ark as people laughed at him. What if he had lost his faith and quit? What if Abraham had said no? What if the early believers, the early followers of Jesus in Jerusalem as they were being persecuted would have said, No, I'm not, I'm not putting myself at risk so anybody else can know about Christ. What if the people in your past, can you imagine? Imagine with me if, if, if the individuals in your past, they're not famous people necessarily, but they're in your life. They were in your life when you were a kid. They were in your life when you were struggling, when you were messed up. They were in your life when you were a young adult. God put them in your life. Can you imagine where you would be today if those men and women had said, I'm not going to be faithful. I'm not going to speak for Jesus. I'm not going to pray for anybody. I'm not going to invite you to church. I'm not going to care about you. Can you imagine where you would be if they had been unfaithful? But because they are part of that cloud of witnesses in your life, you have opportunities you would otherwise never have had. Can you imagine? Some of you already know what your life is like because you're not running your race. Because you won't get rid of those weights that slow you down. Because you choose time after time after time after time to be unfaithful and to compromise the gospel? Can you imagine? Dare to imagine what life would be like for you if you ran the race to win. Imagine what it would be like for you if you got rid of those heavy weights and those entangling sins that keep tripping you, imagine how different your life could be if you would say, today I get rid of that stuff and I'm going to run this race to win. Just imagine. Because God already looks at you and sees that possibility. God looks at you and knows what you can become if you'll just get up and run with Him. As He said in Hebrews 12, Fixing your eyes, keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. Never taking your eyes off Him. Yesterday, and I'll close with this. 
Manisa and I drove home from Cherokee Lake in Tennessee, just outside Knoxville. And for most of that four-plus hours, we were listening to this book on tape and didn't get through it all because there's a lot more to it. It's just come out recently, titled Captive in Iran. It's the true story of two women, Miriam and Marzia, born into Muslim families in Iran and as teenagers, they each gave their heart to Jesus Christ. Their families did not, but they did. Later, when they were in their mid to late 20s, they met and became close friends. They were sharing an apartment together in Tehran. And God had given them a vision, a dream, if you will, to reach others in that militant, despot, Islamic nation where there are very few freedoms and where women are treated like dirt to reach them with the gospel and with the love of Jesus Christ. And so on the wall of their apartment, they... they, a map of the city, dividing it into several quadrants. And they got lots of New Testaments in Farsi, the native Persian language of Iran. And in the evenings, and at, while it was dark, they would take taxi rides to those distant parts of that big city, and they would pass out New Testaments. They would put them in mailbox. If someone asked them a question, they would answer it, and they would share their faith. And for over two years they did this. They just, listen, these two believing women in that terrible place distributed more than 20,000 New Testaments. Think about that. On one occasion they they were coming home late at, at night with a carload of Bibles they had just gotten of New Testaments because it was usually safer for them in in the evening. And unexpectedly, there was a a checkpoint, soldiers looking in every car at a bridge. And they couldn't get out of line. They were caught. So they prayed. There were about three cars in front of them, and the driver of, of one of the cars got into a fight with the soldiers. And so they all got distracted and just motioned the other cars through and they got through. Story after story of how God worked in their lives. But they were eventually arrested. And they would spend the next 259 days in that notorious prison in Tehran where that pastor I mentioned a moment ago is this morning. This was all in 2009. And when you listen to them describe the scene, describe their, their surroundings, it's hard to imagine. All these women cramped in small rooms with a limited number of toilets, half of which don't work and overflow with human refuse. The floor filthy and stinking, sleeping on the floor wrapped in blankets that smell of urine and other human stuff. 
interrogated day after day after day after day after day after day. If they would just deny Jesus, they could go free. And yet, their own testimony and their story became an international story. Their prison became their church. Before they were arrested, their home, their apartment had been a church. They'd had two churches meeting in their apartment, one for young people and another for prostitutes. And now this notorious prison became their church as they began talking to people, loving people, going up to those that everybody else was afraid and and, and in time able to pray with these women. 